0: Hi, Um, the first reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bags or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you. And our second reading is from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they prepared Claimed the Word of the Lord in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar Jesus, who was an attendant of the Proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the Word of God. And this is the Word of the Lord of the Lord.
1: Well, last week, um, I shared a message on why it's imperative that we make Jesus' last command our first priority. Jesus' last command was to go into all the world and to make disciples. And so this is, this is uh, central to who we are. This is what we exist for, to be disciples who make disciples. That's uh, what it's all about. And this deeply challenges me every day. I know it deeply challenges Many of you, every day, and I imagine last week challenged many of you. I hope it was encouraging as well. Um, but if you missed last week's message, you probably will feel more comfortable if you don't go watch it. Um, so, don't worry about it. Um, we're here to be disciples who make disciples, who lovingly lead others into relationship with Jesus. But it's no good, of course, if we just agree on why it's important and go, yep, okay, cool, that's the mission, that's the Great Commission. What we've got to do is learn and train to be workers, labourers in the harvest field, as Jesus talked about in today's reading. And I can probably count on one hand the number of Christians who I know personally who feel confident in sharing their faith with unbelievers. And I don't count myself in one of them. I just know a few others who feel confident in that. Most of us need help, right? Anyone feel like that? Yep. We need help. We need to learn. When I was a teenager, I thought I knew what it was all about because I knew how the specific set of circumstances and influences and how I came to faith. And I was like, well, we're just going to do it like that. People got to have experiences like I had, and then they'll come to Jesus too. You soon find out, oh, doesn't work that way. Everyone's on a different journey. Everyone thinks differently and has different experiences. So we realize we don't actually automatically know how to do this. We need to learn like it's a skill. Well, there's good news, friends. Jesus didn't spend three years with his Uh, group his disciples getting them to watch a bunch of random miracles and listen to a bunch of obscure parables and sermons on all sorts of different random things and then see him die and rise again only to go at the end of that three years right guys that was fun but your job's different i need you to go and make disciples i'm sure you'll work it out on the way that's not what happened the Great Commission would not have been a surprise to the disciples, because he spent three years showing them and teaching them just how to do that, how to make disciples of all nations, baptized, etc. Put it this way, if the Great Commission came at the beginning of Jesus' time with them, it would have made no sense. If he had said, time has come, the kingdom of heaven has come near, repent and believe the good news, that's... That's what it's all about, Mark 1, 14 to 15. And then said, oh, and now go make disciples of all nations. They'd be like, ah, uh, how do we do that, Jesus? But the Great Commission came at the end. At the beginning, they had all sorts of ideas about what the Messiah was going to do. How many of those ideas they had were correct? None. <laughs> The zealots thought he was going to go and, you know, charge militarily to to defeat the Romans. And these guys thought they were going to do this. And others thought they were going to, he was going to impose the law. And none of it was right, their expectations. Now, he gave them hints along the way. I'm going to teach you to fish for men. I'm going to send you as laborers into the harvest. I'm going to, you're going to bear fruit. What does that mean? But they needed training first. And they got that. Then when the time came, I suspect they could have finished Jesus' sentence for him. Hey guys, here's the final commission. Go and make, and then Peter comes in, disciples. Yep, we got it, Jesus. We got it. Right, we know what to do now. They'd been trained for this. So, for the next six weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus actually taught his followers, how he actually trained them. Because the practical training that we're looking for on how to do this, how to share our faith, how to lead people into a relationship with Jesus, I think it's actually right in front of us in the words of Scripture. We just need to look with a fresh set of eyes. And I'll be honest, it might not be what you expect. It it certainly hasn't been what I've expected, because for years, most of us have read the Gospels as being all about what Jesus said, the extraordinary things He said and taught, and then the extraordinary things He did... But when you look at how he went about those three years with his followers and how his approach gets carried on by his followers in the book of Acts, you realize maybe this is actually a masterclass from Jesus himself in how to do what he's called us to do. And so this series is called The Master's Class, All right? Learning to make disciples from Jesus himself. You ready? Ready? I'm excited. I don't know if you can tell. Let's do it. Father, I just pray that you would be our teacher this morning, Jesus, that you would come and show us what you want to show us as our teacher and our leader this morning. Open our mind, open our hearts to what you would want to lead us into. And give us practical things, I pray, Lord Jesus. Highlight to us things that you're calling us to that are doable in the power of the Holy Spirit. And lead us in obedience, I pray in Jesus' name. I'm, in. I'm going to start with um, probably the most important uh, most important thing Jesus did and taught his disciples. In a sense, this sort of sets the, the frame for the rest of our series over the next six weeks. Jesus taught them to look for the person of peace. So what's that all about? Well, in Luke chapter 10, uh, which we read earlier, um, we, we read what Dr. Luke has written... Right to of context for those who don't know, a doctor by the name of Luke was the writer of both the Gospel according to Luke and the Book of Acts. So some people talk about Luke Acts. It's kind of one narrative. One is the account of Jesus' life, Gospel of Luke. One is the account of the church, the early church after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And what Luke writes is very particular. He's a doctor. He, he has to be focused on, the, on, the, on the, the nitty-gritty, the specifics. So he's not lazy in any of the details that he chooses to include in the book of Luke or the book of Acts. Um, everything has a reason, and what he writes is always very intentional. Luke chapters 9 and 10 include the primary strategy modeled brilliantly by Jesus himself. And then taught to the disciples. The primary strategy for this disciple-making journey. He says, look for, in essence, look for the person of peace. Now, what is a person of peace? Let's read a bit of uh, chapter 10 again. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who... ...promotes peace, other translations say, if someone is a man of peace or a person of peace, is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Sounds easy (laughs) and fun. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house when you enter a town and are welcomed... Eat what is offered to you. According to chapter 10, a person of peace is someone who promotes shalom, so to speak, promotes peace when you approach them. And then he talks about accepting whatever food and hospitality they offer you. He says, if you are welcomed, stay there, not if you're pushed away. Here's another way to put it. The opposite of this strategy would be standing in the local atheist gathering, rudely telling them that they're idiots. ...because they don't believe in God. right? That is not a great approach. It's people who, and, and, and especially if they're people... Not the atheists can't be people of peace... ...but if they're people going, get out of here, you dirty Christian... ...that's the opposite of going to someone who says... ...hey, I'm welcoming you in. I want to feed you. I want to hang out with you. This is what Jesus is saying. Look for where God is already at work in someone's life. If you come with the peace of Christ... ...the gospel of peace... And they like you, they listen to you, they serve you, they want to welcome you, they want to feed you. Stick with it. And if not, it's okay, you can move on. I don't know if we read quite through to that where he said, you know, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next place. A person of peace is essentially someone who is becoming a person open to hearing and accepting the gospel. Because in seeing you, who carries the gospel, they don't go, get out of here. They say, I'm intrigued, I want to hang out. Jesus teaches us that making disciples, or evangelism, or sharing our faith, leading others to Jesus, isn't about trying to convert the most antagonistic person you can possibly find. Well, who's the person in my life who just doesn't want a bar of this stuff? Maybe I'll try and convert. No, it's not about that. He says, look for who's open. I think that's really great, freeing news. Now, that said, it's, of course, easy to do this using our own natural eyes, right? And miss the opportunities. Who's open in my life? Who's the person of peace? And then when someone sort of, there's, a, there's like a barrier or like there's a bit of resistance, it's like, oh, well, I'll move on from that. No, no, no. We need to actually look with the eyes of God. We can't see what God sees. What this is really about, finding, identifying the person of peace, is trusting the Holy Spirit To lead us to the people whom he is working on. The lives that he is at work in. Jesus says, don't take a purse, next slide, or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. In other words, it's not about using all the resources at your disposal. What programs can I do? How much can we fund? So that you can kind of woo or convert someone with all this resource. It's about looking for where God is at work and stepping into that. Where is the Holy Spirit at work? We need the eyes of Christ to see that. And of course, that requires prayer, that requires sensitivity, and we'll focus on that a little more in the coming weeks. I'm excited to have Andrew sharing next week on that. Jesus spends an irrational amount of time with the Father in the quiet place, right? This is the way of Jesus. He spends all this time with God, his Father in the quiet place early in the morning. And then he was able to approach people who seemed to be not worth the effort and have conversations with them, which led to real life change, and in some cases impacted whole communities. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, right? Jesus, what are you doing wasting time on a woman in that culture and a Samaritan woman at that? And yet he saw that she was a person of peace. And it led to not only her transformed life, but she went and shared with the whole town and then they brought and brought them to Jesus. He he came to Zacchaeus, who I spoke about last week. The guy who people would say, what a waste. Someone so important giving their time to a chief tax collector, really? A dirty just scoundrel like that? What a waste of time. But Jesus knew. No, he was a person of peace with a heart ready. And you might go, okay, that's great, Luke, but we're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus. We don't have that kind of insight. And if you read this passage very literally and go, okay, well, I need to walk up to someone and say, peace be on you and your household and see what happens, it might not work. But this is really, if this is really a masterclass in disciple-making from the Master Himself, then here's what we ought to see, right? We ought to see it in practice in his students. We ought to see his students taking it and doing the same thing successfully, right? Where, where might we see that? The book of Acts is a gold mine. Let's read a bit again from Acts chapter 13. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, next slide, uh, set apart for me uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Oh, was it not in the, sorry if it wasn't in the slides. Um, are we in the right one? Uh, da, 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 da. Next next slide, I think. No. Uh, let's. It's important that we read this slowly together, so I just want to make sure we get it. I right, let's go back one slide. I think we just put the wrong, the wrong, um, wrong slide. Okay, I'll just read this bit, and then we'll go to the bit about um, fasting and praying. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hand on hands on them and sent them off. Now you may remember some passages which talk in the in the book of Acts about Paul and Barnabas, right? Paul and Barnabas did this. Paul and Barnabas did that. Paul and Barnabas were in jail and they're singing and stuff happened. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. But who's Barnabas? Barnabas was a disciple of Jesus. He was there. He saw it. And what's this passage say? Well, it's not on the, I'm not sure if it's on the screen, but it says not Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, but Barnabas and Saul... Saul, oh, sorry, Barnabas and Saul. Saul's another name for Paul before he got, Jesus changed his name to Paul. Barnabas and Saul. Now, again, Luke writes nothing by chance. Who's the teacher here and who's the learner? Barnabas, doing what Jesus had taught him, is being shadowed by Paul, who's now learning from Barnabas. It's very intentional that he writes it in that order, Barnabas and Saul. And Barney, let's call him Barney, knows what to do to patiently look for the person of peace so now we're at the part where it goes after yes we got the right slide now thank you nicole so after they had fasted and prayed they placed their hands on them and sent them off two of them sent on their way by the holy spirit went uh, down to seleucia and sailed there to cyprus when they arrived at salamis they proclaimed in the word of god in the jewish synagogues John was there with them as a helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Now, is there any indication of anybody responding yet to the gospel that they're sharing, they're trying to tell people about Jesus? Nothing. No results. Sometimes we read the book of Acts and go, well, Peter just stood up and said some words and 3,000 people came to faith. It just doesn't work like that anymore. Not every time. Every time. Here they go, they're traveling through cities, not, not just like they went one place, one place. It's like they, they would have spent time there and gone, what are the, where are the open doors? And what they were doing, if you know the history, it says there about uh, John Mark involved with them. They were following the relational pathways. They were following the places where they knew people, where there were open doors, where they had connections, and going, is there anybody here who's interested? And the answer is... Um, Seleucia? No. Cyprus? No. Salamis? No. Uh, you know, um, and eventually, they just like, okay, we need to move on from each place. And then they reach Paphos. Next slide. There they meet a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar Jesus, who was an attendant of the Procon. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Who, anybody here ever met a sorcerer and false prophet and gone hey, this guy might be really instrumental in helping me to find someone, lead someone else into a saving relationship with Jesus. No, no, no. Like if you, meet, if you meet a sorcerer and false prophet, you probably tend to go, just please stay away from me while I try to get on with what I'm doing here. But that's not the attitude they have. They were open, being sensitive to what God was doing. And it says the proconsul who knew this guy, an intelligent man sent... For Barnabas and Saul, because he wanted to hear the word of God. What are they doing? They're being sensitive to what God is up to and what God is saying. And it leads to a guy who is a person of peace, the proconsul, who, quote, wanted to hear the word of God. What is Barnabas doing? With Paul watching him and learning... Barnabas is doing what Jesus taught him to do. Look for the person of peace. Look for what doors God is opening. And there's a few important things that happen along the way. Here's a bit of a summary. They prayed. They fasted. They went as a team. The Holy Spirit spoke and they responded. They followed their relational pathways, the connections they had. And they didn't find anyone initially. So they kept looking. That there is a wonderful guide and and, and strategy and how we can go about finding people who might want to know Jesus. The account goes on to say that the sorcerer tries to get in the way. Paul is moved by the Spirit, challenges him, and that causes blindness. The proconsul sees and believes and becomes a Christian. Right. So if you read the story, it's like, okay, then that happens. There's more, more to it than just what we've read. And this is where we usually go, okay, cool. That's great, Luke. Jesus did it. And and Saint Paul and Saint Barnabas did it. They're clearly giants of the faith in the Bible. What chance have I really got? Little old me. Here's the reassuring thing about all of this. There's only two differences between us and them. The time they lived and geography. That's it. Everything they did. According to the example and teaching of Jesus in Luke 10, we can do. It's doable. Let me ask you do you think that Jesus, the King of the universe, creator of all things, taught his disciples something that would only work for a hundred years or so, but then it wouldn't work anymore? Like, do we think that Jesus, in around 100 or 200 AD, is chatting to the Father in heaven and going, oh my goodness, the world has changed so much. My strategy doesn't work anymore. Father, can I go back? We need to, we need to develop the plan a bit. Is that, is that what Jesus would be saying? Or is he going, no, 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 this works. I've given it to my disciples and for them to pass on. Remember, part of the Great Commission is, and teach them to do the same, to pass this on. The way of Jesus is applicable across cultures, times, ages. It's applicable universally. And we are no less able than these ordinary men and women. You Can imagine how they felt? They're taking over the job from Jesus, right? No pressure. We've got thousands of years of people before us who got it mostly wrong. I mean, you know, maybe not mostly wrong, but it's not as if the church has a wonderful history in all of this. So not as much pressure on us. They're taking over from Jesus, but they did it, and we can too. We can allow Jesus to be not just our Savior who we worship, but our, our Lord, our Master, our Teacher, to show us how to do what He's called us to do. So what does this look like in practice in 2022? You might be thinking, okay, that's, that's fine, but what about just practical steps here? I want to be really, really practical in this next six weeks, but how we can make this, how we can lead people slowly and gently and lovingly into a relationship with Jesus. So, here's three things that I think it boils down to, and don't worry, this is maybe a lot to take in, but I, I wanna um, do these three things today, and then we'll unpack them more and explore them more in the next week, six weeks. The first is to identify people at peace with the help of the Spirit, which we talked about. We've gotta ask, who is God placed in my life? Who likes me? Who listens to me? Who serves me? Who, who, or who may, if I let them, you know, someone who God is at work in their life. And there's indication they could be open to Jesus because they're at least not shutting me out. How do we do that? I'd say we don't overthink it. We don't overthink it. Are are they or aren't they a, a person of peace? You know, I'm not sure. Well, who in your life is, with just a little bit of effort? Actually, want to be around you. Start there. Don't overthink it. But then the effort that we put in counts as too. So we need to be present. You know, I made excuses for a long time. Uh, just, you know, God, I, I just don't know anyone. I don't know. I'm, I'm a pastor. I just almost time spent with people in the church. I don't know anyone who you know who, who could be a person of peace. Eventually, I stopped making excuses and went. Well, I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think there's any reason for me to avoid this. And after a little while, I'm honestly like, God, my prayer list for non-Christians is getting a little long. Can you please just hold off for a bit? God opens doors when we choose to be present and intentional. At least the next thing we need to pray. We need to pray for the people God's put in our lives. I just began to pray in the last especially 12 months. Lord, show me who you're working on and lead me to them. You know what? It's funny how God answers those prayers. Right? God answers these prayers. Now, you might think, well, God doesn't always answer my prayers because actually we often pray things that might not be quite aligned with his will and might not, you know, God has a different, a better plan. But this, God, please lead me to, to be able to, to share your love with People lead me to them, show me what you're doing in their life. I just believe the Father is saying, I got you. I will answer that prayer absolutely every time. However, it is slow, and we need to be patient. We should not assume that we're gonna see one seed planted, if you like, in a prayer or being present, or joining a club, or or getting making an effort to get to know people in the workplace. These are all seeds we plant. We don't want to assume that we plant a seed one day and we get fruit tomorrow, right? Seeds and harvest, vines and fruit, all the biblical metaphors around this, there's one thing in common, a long time in between, waiting, being patient. But this is, I think, where we start. We identify people at peace prayerfully, patiently, intentionally, being present. But then, don't stop there, because the good news of Jesus is ultimately a message, The good news of Jesus is ultimately something that needs to be spoken. Paul said, how can anyone hear unless someone tells them? And so the second thing is to learn to move the conversation. 1 Peter 3 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. But do this with, anyone know the scripture? Gentleness and respect. So where is the person at? The person in your life who God's drawing, where are they at? Some people aren't ready for Jesus, but it doesn't mean God's not at work in their life. Some people, there's a lot of things they will need to work through. It doesn't mean they're not a person of peace. Let's be really clear. If they're an atheist, it doesn't mean they're not a person of peace. Are they open to you? I've got friends joining me, like Christian friends joining me in prayer for one non-Christian in my life because there is massive spiritual and emotional and experienced stuff that's going to take time and care to move through before the conversation can move to jesus but by god's grace the conversation will move and we're going to be intentional about that i found this square i'm going to put up really 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 helpful sometimes we're just having casual conversation with friends right it's just like hey how's the weather yeah how are your kids yeah that's great we want to be intentional about moving those, this is natural anyway, but moving those to meaningful. We're actually, talking about our lives. Oh, I'm struggling with this. Yeah, you know, this stuff's happening at work. You know, actually, you know, my marriage is not so great at the moment. being, you know, really being honest and having meaningful conversations. One big shift that we need to learn to do is to turn the, the second corner from meaningful to spiritual and having conversations about faith gently with respect. We're going to do training on this, turning that second corner, because that's a really big one, as well as training this year on turning the third corner. What do you do when someone's ready to discover Jesus for themselves? And that's the third thing we need to learn, to help people discover Jesus for themselves. Jesus wants people to find him. Jesus is knocking, knocking, knocking at the door of their heart, the Bible says. We we get to help them discover this and let him into their lives. This might be inviting to Alpha. This might be succinctly sharing the simple gospel. It might be sharing your story. It might be asking them to read the Bible in a way that's about them discovering Jesus. All of these things, again, are a privilege, but something we need to learn. There's something we need to, to train in. We don't know how to do this, we don't just automatically go, great, Up, oh, I know how to, I'm, I've got it, i got it down. Jesus' disciples needed to learn and train, we need to too. Not assuming we can and not assuming we can't, but assuming we can learn. Um, like I said last week, we've got a form on our website for you to express interest in these courses and seminars and learning to do these these things, ways we can Move the conversation and help people discover Jesus. That's what I'm investing my time in this year, and I pray you'll do the same. Um, We need to put into practice what the Master Jesus has taught us. And so, in summary, to you know, to find that person in our lives who seems opening, who seems open, they welcome you in. Praying for them, because if you're not praying for them, do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Right? Don't go any further. There's no point in doing courses and, and and training if we're not praying first it won't matter friends it won't matter we need to be praying for them and but as you do begin to gently and respectfully move the conversation and when the time is right with the help of the holy spirit we might just be able to help them discover jesus for themselves so as we you know, wrap up this morning what's one thing what's one thing you can take from this morning i know there's a lot in what i've just said right What's one thing you can take away and go, I think I can just make small steps on that? Is it praying for someone? Is it going, you know what, I think I can start to move that conversation, with that person in my workplace. Is it identifying someone, starting from scratch and going, who are you at work in God? What's your one thing? What's one thing to put into practice? Let's just pause for a minute. And reflect on that. Ask the Holy Spirit to put on our mind a person or a step we need to take. Music team, if you want to come join me at the front. I want to really encourage you to share your one thing with someone. Um, I, I pretty much guarantee you, if you kind of go, yeah, I think this is my one thing to put into practice, and then you don't share it, by next week you won't remember what it is. <laughs> if we share it with someone and go, I, I really want to take this one small step, then chances increase exponentially of actually making that step personally. Before we head into a time of worship and prayer, though, I want, to, I want to close with this. Maybe you're not even a believer today. Or you're just wrestling with your own doubts and thinking, man, oh, this this only seems to apply to, to sort of Christians who know what they're doing. Or, or maybe you don't even know if you agree that we ought to pursue people to lead them to Jesus, pursue the lost. Wherever you're at, I pray you hear the heart of God in all of this. Jesus lovingly pursues people who have wandered away from the God who gave them life. That's what he does. And that, my friend, is you, and that is me. Like, if if not for the passionate, intentional pursuit of Jesus, for my heart, then I would have woken up this morning totally separated from my maker and a broken shell of a human being. That's just the reality. And the same applies to you. He loves me. And he loves you. You watching online, you in the room. And he wants your heart. And he's pursuing you in love. And that makes you the perfect candidate to both receive his love and then in response pursue others in that same loving way, pointing them to Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know that he's pursuing you? wherever you're at, that he's coming lovingly to you to bring you back into and more fully into relationship with the Father, right? It starts here, it starts here, and then this compels us to pursue others with that same love. And so, Father, I want to pray this morning that you would give broken people a fresh revelation of your passionate love, Come, Holy Spirit, Spirit of love. Open our minds and our hearts to the extravagant love of the Father poured out through Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray you would remove anything that's in the way, any doubts, any. Confusion, any intellectualism that's gotten in the way of us just opening our heart to you and recognizing, Jesus, that you are knocking on the door of our heart saying, let me in, let me in. Father, I pray that you would remove any idol, any other thing or person or mindset that we have turned to thinking that it will give us life so that as all of that falls away, We see you, Jesus, as who you really are, the way, the truth, and the life, the life giver. Thank you that you come after us, Jesus, in pursuit of our heart, lovingly, gently, with respect. We open ourselves to you this morning.